this message, author of life, we've been talking about how your story isn't over yet. And I just love that idea that never put a comma where God puts a period and never put a period where God puts a comma. And so there's things sometimes that we give up on in life because we think that's over, it's finished, there's nothing I can do about that. And then there's times when we need the discernment through the Holy Spirit to recognize that a season's over and it's time to move on. And God is leading us to move on. And as I was praying into that, the Lord specifically told me that I want you to preach a message to people that are stuck in a season. And sometimes I think our stories get stuck. Like I love that Pastor Bob, several weeks ago, preached to us a message on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's one of my life verses. It says, you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he planned for you long ago. And so it's one thing to come to church. It's one thing to read your Bible and read that verse and say yes and amen and, and believe it. It's another thing to see that verse start to work out in and through your life. And I think this is where a lot of us get stuck in our journey with Jesus and we get stuck in our story because we get stuck in a season. Seasons weren't meant to stay in. Seasons were meant to transition through. And some of us have been stuck in a season for too long and I felt the Holy Spirit wanted me to remind you and call out that today is a day that I believe that God is going to take you out of the season that you've been in and move you into a new season. That God is closing one chapter of your story and he's ushering in a new chapter and a new season of the story that he's writing in and through your life. But with that comes challenges. When I started pondering this and I started thinking about, I love, I don't know about you, but I love autobiographies. And, and I love biographies. I love the stories of people's lives. And we've been conditioned to believe that success just happens to people. Like you're in the right place, the right time. And just like that, things happen. Success comes to people. And we could admire people from afar but what we don't, if you don't know the backstory that led to the story of success, you can mistakenly think that there isn't much that we can do to position ourselves for victory. In particular, in the Christian life, I think for many of us, this is what we struggle with, not understanding what's my part and what's God's part. And this is where I see a lot of people get stuck in their faith journey is that we have a misunderstanding about God's part and our part. I don't know how many Star Wars fans are out here this morning, but um, one of my favorite uh, scenes, and I forget, I forget which one, it's called Rise of the Skywalkers. I think that was, that was it. And, and Kylo Ren comes in the beginning of the movie, they invade this you know, planet or, I don't know, city or something like that, and they come in and they capture, I don't even remember the dude's name, one of the main characters, they capture him and Kylo Ren comes up to him and he's got a secret that he wants to get out of him. And he comes up to him and there's just like this awkward silence. And I love what he says to him. He says, he's like, what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to talk? Are you supposed to talk? What are we supposed to do here? And I thought about that because I think that's where a lot of us get stuck in our stories is that 
we're not sure if we're supposed to do something or we're just supposed to wait for God to do something. And I think there's some things that we need to understand about our part and God's part. In fact, uh, for many of you, uh, if you've struggled with addiction and you've been through AA or you know the story of AA, actually the story of AA is an amazing story. It's a God story. The, the, the guy who started AA actually had an encounter. He was, he was in a, in a uh, psychiatric ward uh, for alcoholism and through his window, he saw a light and he had an encounter with Jesus that transformed his life. And, and then he wrote the 12 steps birthed out of that encounter with God, right? So uh, that's how AA got started. But there's a saying, there's a prayer associated with AA. It's called the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. How many of you ever heard of that? And I think that's, that's not just a prayer for AA. That's a prayer for our lives. It's, it's having the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, but also have the courage to change the things that I can change. And then the wisdom to know the difference. And I, and I see that at work in our lives all the time, that we have to understand what's God's part and what's our part. And, and what led up to this message today is we looked at the seven signs of Jesus and what, what he did as the son of David, as the Messiah. And there were certain things that only God can do. In fact, there are certain things in your life and that are a part of your story that only God can do. They're impossible things. But how many of you know that we also have a part to play in the impossibilities that happen in life? And understanding what's God's part, he can only do the impossible, but I can position myself for the impossible. And so when I thought about that, uh, God led me to James chapter one and, and starting in verse two. And this is where I wanna begin the journey this morning for this message that I have for you. James chapter two. Oh, I'm sorry, James chapter one, rather. I gotta get there with you. Verses two through eight. Are you ready? If you don't have your Bibles, you could follow up on the screen. This is James speaking to us today, saying this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Anybody feel like they're lacking something this morning? I've raised both hands. And verse five, if any of you lacks wisdom, for example, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. 
Now, I want to read to you. Sometimes when I'm studying scripture in preparation to bring you a message, what I'll do, part of my preparation process, is I'll read several different translations. And sometimes a different translation just hits you a little bit different and you get a fresh perspective on a passage of scripture. I want to read to you the message uh, version because there's something uh, in that that I think uh, Mr. Peterson was an anointed man and, and I, there's something in it, I think, for us that I want to read it. Is that okay with you? Okay. Let's, I'm going to read it to you if I can find it here. It's too small to read on the screen. My old eyes can't read that good. All right. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so that you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. And if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> come on, anybody, pray to the Father. He loves to help. You'll get his help, and it won't be, you won't be condescending to when you ask for it. Ask boldly, believingly, without a second thought. People who worry their prayers are like the wind-whipped waves. Don't think you're going to get anything from the master that way, adrift at sea, keeping all your options open. It's powerful, isn't it? Powerful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, you say in your word, which is a promise to us, that no word of yours will ever return to you void. So I, I hang on to that promise this morning and I pray that your word would accomplish what you desire it to this morning. God, we open our hearts and minds to you right now. We put away distractions and thoughts and we fix our eyes on you, the author and finisher of our faith. God, help us to get out of being stuck in our story and to embrace the trials and challenges and the problems in our life, recognizing that you use those things to help complete our story and make us into the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. The title of my message to you this morning is, What Doesn't Kill You Makes Your Story. It's a little play on... On the song, if Kelly Clarkson is running through your head right now, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> I tried to do my best tween impersonation of a 13-year-old girl who's infatuated with Kelly Clarkson, but didn't work so good. What doesn't kill you makes your story. When I was thinking about how we get stuck in our stories, Oftentimes, it's because we face obstacles, we face trials, we face temptations. To put it in illustrations of the Bible, we face giants, we face mountains, we go through storms, we try to get out of dead tombs, and things that seem impossible in our life, oftentimes, we just give up on. And we try to go around those things, we give up on them, we feel hopeless. Some of us, we actually try to go through them, but we fail, it's messy, and it doesn't work, and we kind of give up on it. But there's something in the trial 
that we're not supposed to eject from, that we're actually supposed to go through. That, that God will allow trials and tests and giants and mountains and storms to come into our life to teach us something, to test us, and to work in perseverance in us so that we not only experience them, but we overcome them. That, that you were meant to be an overcomer, that you weren't meant to be succumbed by the enemy, that you weren't meant to be subdued by the enemy, but there are things that we get stuck in because we don't understand what's God's part and my part. We don't understand why we go through trials, what problems, what, what God wants to do with those things in our life. And James remind us that we actually can be joyful in going through the challenges of life when you start to understand that they have a purpose. That what the enemy meant for evil, that God means for good. And that if we start to change the way we see problems in our life and stop complaining about them, stop running from them, stop medicating the pain of trying to go through them and escaping them, that there's something that God has to do that only can happen if you go through it. And you allow God to do what he wants to do in it and through it. And so I think there's, that we have to understand this concept that we have to get what's God's part and what's, what's our part. It reminds me, when I was a kid, there was, um, there was a pitcher for the New York Yankees uh, named Tommy John. Now, Tommy John, he was a little bit of an enigma for a pitcher. He uh, pitched for uh, 25, 26 seasons in Major League Baseball, which is unheard of today. Like, unheard of. He pitched till he was 45 years old. In fact, when he started pitching, um, John F. Kennedy was president his rookie year. George W. Bush was president when he finished his career, just to give you an idea. of He got to pitch to Mickey Mantle, and he got to pitch to um, McGuire. If you remember McGuire hitting the home run, Mark McGuire on the A's, beast of a guy, just blasting home runs. That's amazing. And when you, when you look into his life, and this is where a lot of us, we look at heroes and we look at their successes, but we don't know the backstories. And if you, if you do some homework on the life of Tommy John, which I have, because I was just dumbfounded how a pitcher could last 26 seasons in Major League Baseball successfully. And Tommy John, when he, he was always an underdog, he never had the fastest pitch. He had to actually evolve over time and create pitches to deceive batters just to be able to get them out because he didn't have the same skill set that a lot of other pitchers did. But his ultimate challenge actually came in, in 1974 when he blew out his arm, he blew out the, uh, the ligament in the elbow there, the ulterior something ligament, anterior ligament in his elbow. And when you did that as a pitcher in 1974, your career was done. They called it you having a dead arm. Dead arm. You're finished, done. As a pitcher, there's, there's no cure for that. There's no coming back from that. Nobody's ever come back from that. Your career was just finished. So Tommy John had, had a choice. Did he just accept that, uh, you know, the diagnosis, if you will, that his career was finished and over, but that wasn't who Tommy John was. 
Tommy John understood that he couldn't control the fact that he blew out his arm, but he could control the fact how he solved the problem and what he did about it, the choices he made, the decisions he made. So he found out doing some research about this experimental uh, surgery for people who blew out their elbow where they would take the tendon from the other elbow and they would use it to reattach it to the bone. And this was an experimental type of surgery that nobody really knew how the lasting effects would be of the surgery. When Tommy John inquired with the physician that was experimenting with the surgery, he asked them, he, he asked the surgeon, he said, what are the chances if I do this surgery that I can ever pitch again? He said about one in 100. He, he said, what are the chances if I don't? Zero. He said, so you're saying there's a chance. Come on, any, any Dumb and Dumber fans out there? <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Most of us here, we're done. Those odds are, I'm, I'm finished. Tommy John heard, so you're saying there's a chance. He elected to have the surgery. The surgery was successful. He would go on to pitch, I think, another 10 to 12 seasons after that. And in fact, um, his last year, he was 45 years old and he was pitching for the New York Yankees and they cut him from the team. And he called them up before spring training and he said, hey, if I just wanted to try to walk on the team, I know you guys don't want to pay me to be a pitcher anymore, but if I walk on at spring training and prove to you that I could still pitch and you sign me to a contract, do you think that's possible? And they tried to convince him that it wasn't. They said, listen, you're 45 years old. You've had a great career. It's over. You're finished. You're, you're too old to pitch anymore. He said, you didn't answer my question. He said, is there a chance? They said, if you come down, you got one chance. He flew down on his own dime, went through spring training. He ended up getting signed by the team, was the, the, the pitcher on opening day. Won the game, only gave up two runs against the Chicago White Sox. And in his 45th year playing baseball, all because there was a chance. In fact, they would go on to rename that surgery that he had, Tommy John's surgery, in his name. And now pitchers routinely have Tommy John surgery. And so when they blow out their arm, it's not your career's over anymore. It's there's still a possibility. And I think too many of us in the Christian faith, we give up on God and we give up on our stories way too easy. I think for a lot of us, hear me when I say this, I love you, but we become spiritual wimps. That at the sign of trials, at the sign of temptations, at the sign of mountains, at the sign of giants, most of us just concede the fight and in doing so, we stay stuck in our stories. And God told me to tell somebody today, you've been in your season long enough, it's time to move on. And so I wanna to bring to you three things and I actually thought about, I thought about what James said and I started thinking about the heroes of the faith in the Bible. And I started thinking about each one of their stories. And if you think about all the heroes of the faith in the Bible, I dare you to name one of them who didn't go through tests and trials. And yet somehow we think we're exempt from going through some things and that we're gonna actually have to fight with the power of God. And we're gonna have to not only just be able to recognize and accept things that we can't change because 
Many of you are in the room, some of you watching online, there's things that have happened to your life that you can't change. You can't change how you were brought up. You can't change whether you had a mother or father present. You can't change accidents that have happened. You can't reverse abuse. You can't change those things. You can't change the fact that you might have a disadvantage or a disability in an area. You can't change the fact that you struggle with the sin or temptation in your life, but understanding the things that you can't change versus the things that you have the ability to change with the help of God. Now, you can't make the impossible possible, but there's three things that I believe that you can do to position yourself for God to do the impossible. And this is where our partnership with God comes, comes in place. So when I thought about this, I thought I was thinking of the greatest hero that I could think of in the Bible. And in my humble opinion, it's, it's David. It's King David. Now, what, what comes to mind, even when I bring up King David, is probably that he's a giant slayer, that he's a warrior, that he's a worshiper, that he's a priest. His story, the epipath that would be written over his story would be a man after God's own heart. But do you know that there are more chapters dedicated? I think it's like 26 chapters dedicated to the story of David in the Bible more than any other person. And when I thought about why, it's because God doesn't want you just to read about the stories of victory. He wants you to read the backstories of how the victory happened and the victory doesn't just happen. David positioned himself for victory. I could have entitled this message, position yourself for victory or position yourself for the impossible because for many of us, the impossible is a pipe dream. It's not reality. We get stuck in our stories. We get stuck in our seasons and we're waiting on God to, to somehow zap us or do something to move the obstacle out of the way when the obstacle is the way. The temptation, the trial, the challenge, going through it is what's going to produce perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope, as Paul would say in Romans chapter 5. And the way that God completes our story or matures us, and I think it's interesting, um, the number seven is the number of completion. And the way that God completes our story is through trials through testings because our faith has to be tested to see if it, it's genuine, if it's pure and if, if your faith is pure and it's, and it's tested, it's, it's battle worthy and it's ready and through perseverance, God is building something. He's building a story in and through you and he's building the character that when victory comes, you're going to be able to withstand the, the new temptations that come with victory and you're going to be able to go through it. So I got three things when I look at the life of David. In fact, you know, we want things to be so clean and neat and sterile in the church. I, I was thinking about this on the way here today. I think the church should be the greatest R&D factory or lab in the world. What do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? Some of you are so confused. R&D, is that a brand new brand of soda? What is that? Um, R&D stands for research and development. I used to work for software companies. For every successful software code, they have to write like 300 unsuccessful software codes. And we have been so conditioned by the world that we live in to avoid failure like the plague, 
But what we have to understand, just like Tommy John, is every failure is one step closer to a success. Every time we fail, we've, we fail the test, and that test, going through the test, shows us what we need to work on. In fact, I was talking, there was a teacher that he waited for me after service to talk to me, and he said, hey, that was a great message. By the way, educators, when somebody fails a question, they don't focus on what they got right. Getting that right shows that they got it. What we focus on is what they got wrong because what you got wrong exposes what you need to work on. And I believe that's exactly how God sees failure in our life. He doesn't see failure as final, which the world wants to tell you your failures are final. Your failures aren't final. They're only final if you don't allow them to teach you something. Failure can be the greatest teacher in our life. If we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us what he wants to through failure, you never actually fail. You fail forward because I'm always learning from my failures and I'm always allowing God to do what he wants to do through my failures. So my failures are never really failures. My failures just lead me one step closer to success. That's research and development. I think we have to be reconditioned to see our failures and mistakes differently and shift our perspective. But uh, there's a couple of things that I want to I bring to life from the, the life of, of David that I think are necessary. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly. The first one is this, your position. Position determines what's possible. If you're not in the right position, it's not even a possibility. That's why it's important for you to show up to church. If you don't even show up to church, you're not giving God something to work with. You're not putting yourself in a position for something impossible to happen. If you're not praying, if you're not seeking God, you're not giving God something to work with. You gotta get yourself in the right position for God to do something impossible. Position helps you to be ready for what's possible. It's not possible for me to receive healing. It's not possible for me to heal my marriage on my own. But if I put myself in a position to humble myself before the Lord and seek his face, he says that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and you think about David's life, he will raise you up in due time. And he had to test David. Now I want to read you the story, 1 Samuel 17, 16. It says, for 40 days, the Philistines came forward every morning and every evening and took its stand. Now, let me pause right there for a second. 40, every, remember, every number in the Bible has meaning. Every number has purpose. 40 is the number of breakthrough. And I thought about this because this giant, this is, let me picture, set the picture for the battle scene here. You have the Israelite army on one side of the valley. You have the Philistine army on the other. And every morning and evening, they would come out and draw up the battle lines. They put on their battle gear, their armor, and they would go out to fight. But here's the problem. This giant of a man, this Philistine, 10 feet tall, scary, big dude, would come out every morning and every evening, and he would defy the armies of the living God. He would shout profanities at them. He would say, you guys are wimps. Your God is nothing. You're going you're gonna to die at my hand. And he would shout and intimidate them. And I thought about how important it is because this is exactly like our life. Yeah. 
We wake up in the morning and the very first thing is the voice of the enemy shouting at you, trying to intimidate you, trying to scare you, trying to, trying to tell lies to you to get you to believe and before you go to bed. This is why the very first thing that you, you take in in the morning and the very first thing you take in before you go to bed are the two most important things. What you fill your spirit with and your mind with, some of you need to get off Netflix and get in the Word. Some of you need to get your face out of Facebook and get in the Word of God. And I'm preaching to myself too, because God had to show me this because I, I like to read part of my night routine is I would read sports, uh, catch up on my sports teams at night. And Lord reminded me, what's the, what the last thing that you're putting in your mind dwells in your spirit. This is why some of you have weird dreams because you're watching weird stuff and stop watching weird stuff. You won't have weird dreams before you go to bed. And this, this guy would come out every day, every morning and every evening for 40 days. And think about this. They get on their battle gear and they go out. They listen to the voice and they go home. Every day, go out, all their battle gear. And God showed me, oh my gosh, this is a picture of the church. That we put on the armor of God, we get armored up. We go out to battle, but then we retreat at the sign of giants. We retreat at the voice of the enemy. Instead of seeing the giant as a possibility instead of a problem. James is saying, look, you have to change your perspective. You have to count it as joy when you go through problems and trials and everything. Why? Because it's going to test your faith and the testing of your faith is going to produce something in you that God needs to produce in you. He's making you into something. He's shaping you and molding you. Ephesians 2.10, for you are God's workmanship. You're his masterpiece. I like that idea that that word is different. That word workmanship is the idea that God is shaping you. He's molding you. He's working something into you and you have to partner with God and recognize that while God is working something into you, you've got to work stuff out of you. And we got to get, we got to get to a place where we're working stuff out and God is working stuff in. That's why Paul would say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for your salvation. Come on, reformers, don't, don't put me in that box. We're not trying to say that we work for our salvation. That's not what Paul's saying. Because he would also tell us that it's a gift. There's nothing you could do. It's the grace of God. You just have to believe it and receive it. However, we are called and admonished by Paul to work out our salvation. That means there's some things that need to get worked out of us, but sometimes we leave it there. But he goes on to say, for it is God who works in you and through you to do his perfect will. My part is to work it out. God's part is to work it in. You got to know the difference. But my part is to position myself for what's impossible. If I want God to do something impossible in my life, if I want my story to matter, then I got to put myself in a position for God to do something impossible. David positioned himself. Look, it says, now Jesse uh, said to his son, David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring them some assurance. Bring me some back some insurance for them from them. 
They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now, early in the morning, David left his flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. And when he reached the camp, as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. And David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. And as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And whenever the Israelites, listen, saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, when I was reading that, something stuck out to me. David wasn't supposed to be there. David wasn't even a part of the army. Yet he was the one that God used to bring down the giant. How's that possible? Now, if you know the backstory, David was anointed king, right? That's why you could come and believe uh, in Ephesians 2.10, I know God's got plans for me. He's got good plans for me. He's told me, some of you, he's spoken to you things that he wants to do in and through your life, but you're not seeing it happen yet. And you're wondering, God, what's up? Why aren't you doing your part? And God is saying, I need you to get in the right position. You need to be in the right place at the right time for me to do something impossible. But what stuck out to me is, is David was anointed king Think about this. He was anointed king, and then he was sent back out in the lonely, obscure place to be a shepherd boy. And his father calls him. Check, listen to this. His father calls him, and he wants him to take 10 cheeses to his brothers. I like that it said 10 cheeses. He wants him to take snackables to his brothers. And you think about now, David's been anointed king. He could have been like, Dad, dude, I'm king. Don't you remember Samuel? Like, me, David, I'm the next king. Like, I don't bring lunch. I'm not the Uber Eats boy for my brothers. Like, that's not me. I'm the king, right? I'm not bringing them lunch, but he doesn't. He humbles himself. And he becomes the lunch boy, and he brings the lunch to the battle lines. And because he listened and he obeyed his father's instructions... He was in the right place at the right time. He positioned himself for something impossible to happen. And I wonder how many of us, we're stuck in a season, we're stuck in our story because we haven't simply listened to what God is trying to tell you to do and obey it. Listen and obey. Listen and obey. God's part, my part. My part is to position myself for God to do something miraculous. But if I'm gonna position myself, it's this simple. Listen to what God is saying and then do it. No matter how crazy it might seem, no matter how humiliating it might feel, if you will just listen and obey, and this is a big part of our problems, we don't take enough time to give God some space to speak to us. We got so much that we're filling our brains with, our eyes with, our minds with, our souls with, that we don't leave room for God to speak. We're praying, but we're giving God our laundry list of things that we want him to do, but we're not equally taking time to sit before him in his presence and like Samuel say, here I am, Lord. Here's your servant. Speak. 
When David goes to Saul, he said, your servant will go out and fight. See, David positioned himself as a servant, not as a sovereign. Even though he had been anointed king, he still positioned himself as a humble servant. And too many of us, we're trying to be sovereign over our lives and do what we want to do and then come to God when we get in trouble and we want him to fix our story instead of listening and obeying to what God says and positioning in ourselves for God to do something impossible. The second thing is we need to have the right perspective. We need to have the right perspective. Perception precedes action. How you see something, how you see the obstacles, how you see the trials, how you see the temptations in your life is just as important as the actual temptation, trial, or challenge, or giant, or mountain. Now let me paint you a picture. This whole army would come out every day for 40 days and 40 nights. And they would come out ready to fight But once they were intimidated by this giant, they backed up in fear. This little shepherd boy, David, shows up on the scene. In fact, when when he would go to Saul and tell him, I'll go fight this Philistine giant for you, Saul laughs at him. He says, you're just a boy. He said, he's a grown man. He's a grown man. He's a warrior. I ain't going to say it. You're thinking it. And, and David, and that's the truth. This guy is a giant. He's slayed hundreds. And here David, he's, he's got no resume, mind you, to this point. He's just an obscure shepherd boy that nobody knows. And he shows up and says, I'll take this guy. How is it that this little 14-year-old punk is going to show up on the scene and say, I got this giant? What's wrong with the rest of you guys? Let me tell you why. He had a perspective that his God was bigger than the problem that was standing in front of him. They were so focused on how big he was, how nasty he was, how how much of a killer he was, that they lost sight of how big their God is. When David approaches the giant, he says, you come at me with a javelin, a spear, and a sword. He says, but I come at you in the mighty name of the Lord of hosts of armies. And then check this out. He says, he will deliver, he, his part, he will deliver him into my hands and my part, and I will cut off your head. Now that sounds pretty vicious, but the reality is, is where was the fear coming from? It was coming from his mouth. It wasn't coming from his muscle. It was coming from his mouth. It was coming from the the, the words that he was speaking, the lies, the intimidation. His words were creating fear in them. And some of us, we think we've defeated some things in our life, but we're not cutting off heads. You got to get to the root of the problem. You got to get, if you, you got to get to the root to get through it. Otherwise you're dancing around it because that, you know what? David flung the sling but it was God who directed the stone. David did what he could do. God did what only he could do. But he was only stunned. Most scholars believe he wasn't dead. He was stunned. He wasn't dead yet. David had to take his own sword. Let me remind you, no weapon formed against you will prosper. 
David had to take the, the sword, the weapon that was formed against him to take him out, he took and he used to cut off his head. But David, it started with David first. He would have never been in the position if he didn't have the right perspective. You got to have the right perspective on your problems that your problem isn't the problem. It's how you're looking at the problem. If you look at the problem like my God is bigger and I don't know how this is going to work out, I'm going to give my tithe check. I don't know how I'm going to make the rent, but I know that my God will provide because he's Jehovah Jireh. I know that right now my marriage is a mess. We've talked about divorce. I don't know how it's going to bring healing, but I'm going to do what I can do and I'm going to have the right perspective that I'm not giving up because I know that God, nothing's too far gone because if God can raise Lazarus from the dead, he can take my dead relationships and he can raise them back to life. I know that God can take my marriage and even though we've talked about divorce and we were this close to signing papers, I know God can turn it around. Got to have the right perspective. Perspective precedes action. They couldn't act on what they knew to do because the problem was bigger than their faith, which leads me to my last point. But you have to understand something about this man, David. He didn't let the things that surrounded his life, the problems, the challenges become too bigger. In fact, one of the Psalms that he wrote, Psalm 34, was written in the cave of Abdullah, Abdul, sorry. And it was at a time in his life where he was running on the run for his life from Saul. Saul had been trying to kill him and he's playing dodgeball with his life. Every time Saul would show up somewhere, he, he was hiding somewhere else and he kept moving around and he finds himself in a cave with uh, the, David's mighty men, all those disillusioned and in debt. Not the kind of army you wanna to go to war with. Left-handed warriors, all the outcasts that nobody else wanted. And he's looking around and his life is in danger and he's in this dark cave and he pens this beautiful Psalm. Let me read to you. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David doesn't slay giants without magnifying the Lord. You know what magnification does? It focuses on something with the intention to making it bigger. So this is one of the greatest weapons that the enemy will use in your life. He wants to overwhelm you and make you think that you can't get out of that sin, that your marriage is too far gone, your business is a mess, your kids, it's not gonna happen. You're never gonna break that addiction. It's too big. I've tried before, I've failed. And David says, no, no, no. It's because you need to shift your perspective from focusing on how big the giant is and let's magnify how big God is. He's still the God of creation. He's the God that spoke the world into existence. He's the God that parted the Red Sea so that they could walk through dry land. He's the God that led them into the promised land that he provided manna from nothing falling out of heaven. He's the God that led them by fire by night. This is the God we serve. And sometimes you just need to praise your way out of your problem by reminding yourself and magnifying how great God is. 
the last one, is even though that David positioned himself for victory and he had the right perspective, he never would have been able to have the courage to be in that position without perseverance. See, perseverance, come on, if you put that in the screen, perseverance positions you for the impossible. When David shows up, could you imagine a 14-year-old shepherd boy coming up to the king and saying, hey, I got this guy. Who are you, little punk? Like, go back to tending sheep. And Saul is thinking about not letting him go out because he's like, yo, you're, you're a boy, he's a, he's a grown man. But listen to what David says to him. He says, your servant is ready for this. You wanna know why? Because when I was out tending sheep, when nobody else was around and a bear came, I had to learn to wrestle the bear and take him down. And when a lion came, I had to grab it by its hair and slit its throat. It was behind the scenes that nobody saw. It was the shepherd field that prepared David for the battlefield. And too many of us wanna go straight to the battlefield without persevering through the shepherd field. When nobody else is looking, when nobody knows your name, but you're spending time and you're working it out on your knees, praying, getting in scripture. So I get the right perspective. So I get the, the truth of God is getting in me and it's building up strength in me and it's building up courage in me. And, and when I went through, when I faced trials that were smaller, I was actually able to overcome them and work through them. And because I was able to work through them and my faith was tested, and in the middle of the test, I still believe because God is good. And he got me through hard times. He got me through when I was a single mother and, and I didn't know how I was gonna make it with three kids and, and, and on food stamps and everything. And he got me through that time. So I know that God can provide for me now. I know that when I was trying to work a job and go to school at the same time that God got me through it. I know that when I thought I was dead in the water and I couldn't overcome that sin in my life and somehow God gave me the strength to keep believing and I prayed in in prayer day in day out and I read and I stood on scripture and I quoted scripture and I memorized scripture and every time that temptation came I reminded the devil of the scripture the word of God and the truth of God and I persevered and I pressed through you got to persist and resist you got to persevere but you also have to resist the temptation to doubt to distract for disappointment for discouragement to come in. I gotta resist those because they're real. Uh, faith isn't denying what's real. It's just saying that I have something that is more real than what I'm feeling right now. And that's the truth of God over my life. I wanna close with this story. In World War II, the German army, they took a lot of casualties in, in World War I and there were a lot of just drawn out battles. And Hitler didn't want to have a lot of drawn out battles. He wanted, he wanted to think of a, a strategic battle plan to, to get the war over quick, occupy land quick. So they came up with, at that time, was a revolutionary war tactic called Blitzkrieg. 
It meant lightning. And what they would do is they would surprise the enemy when they least expected it, and they would send troops in in a concentrated area very fast with the intention of overwhelming, surprising and overwhelming the enemy to the point where after they started using this war tactic, many times when, when they would show up, whole cities and towns and generals would just surrender. And that's exactly part of the plan of Blitzkrieg was to, to overwhelm their enemy so much that they would feel hopeless and they would just lay down their weapons and let them in. It wasn't until Dwight D. Dwight D. Eisenhower would come in at a convention in Malta with the Allied forces, and he would say, no, 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 you're looking at this all wrong. You got the wrong perspective. He says, we're not gonna be overwhelmed by this. We're gonna use their tactic and turn it around against them. And they created this plan that they were gonna allow the enemy to blitzkrieg them and just let them in, but they were gonna be prepared to come in on the sides of them once they're in and surround them in the flank. And that's exactly what they did after winning the Battle of Normandy. They would go in and they would use this tactic and it began to turn the tide in the war. And as the tide began to turn, they actually started believing that they could have victory again and ultimately did. And I share that story with you because I believe one of the things that the enemy uses in your life and my life to discourage us is the same tactic that he used this giant for. Is that he wants to overwhelm you. He wants to discourage you. He, may, he wants you to, to be in despair, which means you're hopeless, that you'll never be able to have victory over it. You'll never be able to break through it. You'll never get there. Your story's never gonna change. You're stuck in a season. You're stuck in a narrative of the enemy just doing this in your ear day in, day out. And God said, today it ends. Today it's over. No longer. For you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who gives you strength. If you feel like this message is speaking to you this morning, would you do me a favor? Would you stand to your feet right now? Don't even... Don't even go through the jockeying of your mind of, well, should I stand or not? What is your spirit telling you to do? And let me tell you this, if we can't stand up in the church, how are we ever gonna stand up outside the church? The Holy Spirit just reminded me, I wanna, I wanna share this last thing, it's, it's very quick. Because this will encourage you. I went through David's life and I mapped out his path to being king after he was anointed. Can I share it with you? Because this will encourage you. Because some of you, you don't like the mess. You think, man, this, this should be easier. I shouldn't, it shouldn't be this messy. I shouldn't keep tripping. I shouldn't keep failing. I, could, I, I, I shouldn't get stuck. This is David's life. Anointed, back to a shepherd, rejected by his own father, back to being the shepherd. Victor over the giant, back to being a shepherd. Worshiper in the secret place, back to being with Saul. Warrior, David's slain his thousands. Rejected by Saul, hunted, broken, 
confused, discouraged, victory, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Grief, loss, king. What's the story of your life? I can tell you this, God brought you here today because he's ready to move you out of a season. Just put your hand on your heart. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come right now. I command every spirit of despair and discouragement. I take off your head right now in Jesus' name. You have no place here. You have no place in your people's lives. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of God. You're anointed. No weapon formed against you will prosper. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you would strengthen your people, encourage your people, strengthen their hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come right now and like a river that you begin to pour out your love on your sons and daughters. I pray that there would be a shift in their soul right now, that you begin to believe again. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I dismantle every lie that has come against you, every person that has tried to tell you a lie about who you are and who you're not. And today I release heaven's truth over you as your identity as a son or daughter and what God has called you to, and I release you to step back into your story. I break off seasons of despair and hopelessness and rejection, and I release you into a new season, a season of life, a season of peace, a season of joy, a season of love in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.